Well, last week um, I spoke about life under construction was the title of the message. And uh, I really didn't think about it much until I finished the message for this week. And I guess it could have almost been part two of life under construction. So I changed my original title to construction can be messy. You ever been around a construction project? The blueprints could look great and you can have some nice drawings and it looks awesome. But boy, oh boy, during the process, there's a lot of stuff that's really a mess. I remember when we were building this building, one of the tasks that I had with my, as, my, uh, as the, the carpenter, the lead carpenter, anybody believe in that? Was I would come over after the carpenters, the real carpenters were done for the day, and I would clean up all the scraps and all the dust and all the sawdust and all that stuff, you know, anything we could do to keep the, the guys that had some skills doing the important stuff. And man, a lie, there is a lot of mess with construction. And as I was looking about my own life and <clears throat> knowing that we are under construction for the, the, the entire life, our entire life, we will not, God will not be finished with us. The transformation of the image of Christ isn't going to take place while we're still alive in this life. And going through the process, man, alive, I don't know about you, but there's been a few messes in my life. Some of those messes um, were the direct result of some of my choices. They were consequences of some of the things that I did that obviously were not being led by the Lord. And other things, other times there's been messes in my life. And what I realized was sometimes we don't get to start with a clean slate in a building project. We don't start from scratch to build something new. A lot of times in building projects, it's, it's a renovation. It's a remodel. And when you're going to remodel and do a renovation, a lot of times you've got to tear some things apart. You've got to make things look worse before they finally look better. And I know in my own life that's been the case for sure. There's been things that the Lord has had to dismantle, tear apart to bring about the changes that he wanted in this process of new construction, of becoming more like Christ. And I'm pretty sure that I'm not unique in any of that. Last week, I want to make sure for those that weren't here, we talked about this, but we, we re- I really stress that this transformation, this sanctification, if you like that word, is a process. It's one that takes place from the moment we get saved until we die. And technically, it's not completed until we get a glorified body. But it is a process, and we are not all in the same place in the process. We're all just moving towards, as the Holy Spirit leads, God gives the grace you know, to it, the scripture, one of the scriptures I mentioned last week was the, the, he gives us the grace to will and to do. He gives us desire to be changed. And then he gives us the power and the ability to change. It's all by the Holy Spirit working in us. And as we surrender to him. And I believe we have to cooperate. Well, I, I know we have to cooperate for this process to take place. And I've discovered in my own life, and some of you would probably agree with this, The more I cooperate, the less messy it gets. The less messy it is. And I have also discovered that messes just aren't messes. They're sometimes painful. Going through this process of whether it's from the consequences of my not cooperating or whether it's just that the Lord has got to deal with some things in my own life that he wants to dismantle. 
so he can build it up in the image of Christ. So this week, what I'm going to be looking at is a man that most of us would be familiar with his name, and that's Abraham. And I'm not going to call him Abraham, and then Abraham, but I want you to know I do know he was named Abraham first, and somewhere along the line, God changed his name to Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah. But I'm just going to call him Abraham and Sarah so I don't confuse me and you. But we're going to look at his life because one of the things that we can fall uh, into a trap real easily is comparing ourselves with others. Anybody ever do that? (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) You know, I do it two ways. One, when I'm a little bit intimidated by something I feel the Lord is leading me into, I look at people I know who already walked that path and they're already doing that thing, and I go, man, oh man, I am nowhere near what they are. There's no way that I can do that, that I can accomplish that. The Lord can use me in that way. I'm just not them. I'm not them. I'm not as good as them. I'm not, as, I'm not a man of faith like they are. And then the other times I, I, I use it this way. I can do that. I'm better than them. I'm better than you and I'm better than... I, yeah, I got it. I can handle this. Both of those things are just short trips to a mess when we think that way. And one of the things that we can oftentimes do in Scripture is look at some of these Bible characters. And, and I say characters, we all know they're real people. And I look at some of these real people and as I read through the Scripture, I think, wow, are they amazing people. Or on the flip side, I can look some of those exact same people and go, how in the world did God ever use them as bad as they messed things up? And you know what? I'm glad they're not perfect because it gives me an encouragement that God will use anybody to accomplish his purposes and his plans. So I'm going to talk about Abraham a little bit. We're going to give a little bit of quick background, and you're not going to turn to most of these sections of Scripture unless you really want to, but Genesis chapter 12, we we get introduced to Abraham. Abraham is, is basically called to, to pick up stakes and to move to a new land. And we talk about him being a man of faith even there from that original calling because he didn't know where it was he was going. He was just going to leave. He was just called by God, told to leave, and he left. And he went. And he received a promise in chapter 12 along with his obedience. God said to him, I will bless you and make you a great nation. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. How many of you know that's a big word? I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have so many offspring, it's going to be a great nation. And not only that, I am going to make you into such a people and a person that the whole world is going to be blessed by you by your family, by your lineage. The whole world will be blessed by you. Now, wouldn't you like to receive that prophetic word sometime? I'm going to make a great nation out of you. We think seven kids is a lot. We're going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have offspring, and they're going to have offspring, and offspring. There's going to be more than the the sands on the shores of the sea. And the whole world is going to be blessed by you. He received that promise. He also received a promise for land. For all of his offspring, a promised land for his people. And then a famine comes, and a famine comes, and he pulled up stakes and he headed to Egypt. 
So here's this man of faith. He's responded to the command of God. He's stepped out by faith, not even knowing where he was going. And when he gets there, it's not long, and a famine comes, and he moves into Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he takes a look at his good-looking wife, Sarah. And he says, man, my wife is so gorgeous, so beautiful. Pharaoh's going to take one look at her, and he's going to want her. And the only way he can take her as a wife, he'll kill me to get her. So what did he do, this man of faith, trusting God and walking according to God's leading? He lied about who Sarah was. Now, God had a plan, obviously, right? He had a purpose for Abraham's life. He told him what he was going to do. He had a plan, and he stepped out by faith initially, and all of a sudden, here he comes, and he lies. This is Sarah, my sister. And Pharaoh goes, fine woman. I think I'll have her become one of mine. What would have that done to God's plan? If Pharaoh would have taken her and Pharaoh would have touched her and Pharaoh would have defiled her, what would have happened to God's plan? God's whole plan here was at risk because this man of faith decided to lie about who his wife was. Kind of a big deal. Well, God's plan isn't totally dependent upon us. Anyone want to say amen to that? Goodness, thank goodness. God had his plan. Abraham's to be a key part of it. He messes up and tells a lie about who his wife is. Pharaoh takes him in, and God says, I'm going to protect my plan. And he puts what the Bible calls serious diseases on the household of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh figures this out, and he goes to Abraham and says, What are you doing? And up till this point, Abraham was being blessed in this land of Egypt. His livestock was increasing, his wealth was increasing, but everything was at risk, and, and Pharaoh gives Sarah back to Abraham. And hopefully the man of faith learned a lesson in this process of becoming who God has declared him to be. There was certainly a bump along the way here. In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah again have received the word from the Lord about they're going to become a great nation. They're going to have all this offspring, but they're getting old. They're getting old. Getting really old, especially by our standards. And as they were getting old, they also were getting impatient. Anybody ever get impatient waiting on God's word to come forth? What do we do when we get impatient? Well, if you're like me, you step out and do what you think God should be doing, and you kind of just help him along a little bit. I mean, I hope you all know God needs me to help him, right? Needs you to help him. And they got impatient. And they, they came up with a plan. You know, God promised me all this offspring. And obviously, Sarah, things aren't working right here. And Sarah says, you know what? Here, take my maid. Hagar, and sleep with her. Let's have a child with her. And he did. And lo and behold, Hagar gets pregnant and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. In their impatience, they decided to help God along in his plan. And boy, oh boy, has that been a mess ever since. 
You may or may not know this, but Ishmael basically is the father because Ishmael was promised a heritage by God as the firstborn of Abraham. And they became a great people. We most commonly today refer to them as the Arabs of the world. Ishmael was the father of the Arab nation. Ishmael and the offspring of Abraham are still fighting these thousands and thousands of years later. And there's so much more to that story. But it's a mess, and it created a mess. And even when God fixes these messes in our lives, there are sometimes consequences. I know that there are things that, man, I was in a mess in this project. God got me out of that mess, but there's still consequences from the mess. God doesn't hold that thing against you, but there are consequences. At 86 years of age, he became the father of Ishmael. He was kind of old. In Genesis chapter 17 is where his name was actually changed to Abraham because he was going to be this um, father of many nations. And finally, he, they're told again, Abraham and Sarah, that you're going to have a son. Abraham by now is 99 years old, cruising into 100. Sarah's just a youngster. She's 90. And God says, you're going to have a son through Sarah. Anybody know how they responded? Some translations say he fell down to the ground in laughter. But in any case, there was laughter involved. Sarah for sure was laughing. And he gets confronted. What are you doing laughing? I am not laughing. I'm not, I'm not laughing. Oh, yes, you are. You're laughing. Well, who wouldn't at 99 years of age from the man and 90 years of age for the woman? And you're told that you're going to have so many offspring, you are going to become a great nation. And all the world is going to be blessed by you. And they laughed, doubting God and his ability. Then there's a little... Um, rabbit trail, if you want to call it that, with Abraham. Most of us are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's nephew, Lot, was living in the city. And it's almost like God has a discussion with himself. I love that. He says, what do you think? Should we tell Abraham what we're going to do or not? And he told Abraham what they were going to do and destroy the city. And this man of faith got into a negotiation with God. It tells me something about the relationship. God allowed him to negotiate with him. And Abraham had the faith to negotiate with him. There obviously was relationship. And amongst the messes, the relationship, and they were growing. And you know the story. He says, Lord, you can't destroy the city. Would you save the city if there's 50 good people? Okay. Well, Lord, you certainly won't destroy the city if there's short just five, would you? And there's only 45? Okay, we'll go with 45. But Lord, what about 40? Okay. What about 30, God? Okay. 20? Okay. And finally, Lord, really, what if there's only 10? I'll save it, the city, with there's 10. Well, we all know the story. There wasn't 10. And they destroyed the city. But God in his grace and mercy allowed his nephew Lot to leave before the destruction came. 
That all took place in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 20. At this time, it's about 25 years have passed since he lied about Sarah and who she was to Pharaoh. And he's hopefully matured in those 25 years. A lot of things have taken place. And all of a sudden, there's this run-in with King, I believe it was Abimelech, correct? King Abimelech. And guess what happened? Now, remember, Sarah's like old. And Abraham looks at his wife and goes, she's hot. I know what's going to happen here again. King of Imelech's going to see her and he's going to want her. So, guess what? I'd like you to meet my sister Sarah. 25 years have passed and he does the same thing. He lies. God has been faithful. He's been growing in his relationship with the Lord for 25 years. And he does the same thing, putting God's plan at total risk again. King Abimelech did take Sarah and took her into his palace. God's plan was at risk because the construction project had messed up. But God was going to protect his plan. He told Abimelech in a dream, and I'm going to paraphrase just a little, King, don't touch her or you're going to die. And the king, in this dream from God, woke up and says, Get Abraham, Abraham, why did you lie to me? And he restores Sarah to Abraham. And again, if we think this through a little bit, He had been given a plan. God had told him he had a future. He had a destiny. He had shown himself faithful. He had taken him through a a number of messes along the way. And he was growing in relationship. His relationship was such that he had the audacity or the holy boldness or whatever you want to call it to plead with God, negotiate with God like a salesman. And God honored that and let him do it. And then all of a sudden he puts the whole plan at risk again. Once again, if Abimelech would have had relations with Sarah, even if she didn't get pregnant, who would ever know, who would ever trust that when Sarah does get pregnant by Abraham, whose child is it? The whole plan was once again put at risk because he did not protect his wife, denied that she was even his wife, and introduced her as his sister Sarah. In Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time he had promised him. We need to pay attention to that verse. God is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his promises and things will happen and be carried out at exactly the right time. His time. Not Mike's time or your time. You know, we, we receive the promises of God and you know what? Every promise in here, it's filled with promises for us as his children. 
We receive promises from him through our time of prayer with him. We may receive prophetic words with promises of God. And we have a tendency we can get so impatient so quickly or try to convince God our way is better somehow in doing things our way in our time. God said and did exactly what he said he would do. And it's interesting, not only did he restore Sarah's womb so that she could conceive and have a child, he did such a physical transformation in her life that it, it tells us in Scripture that she nursed the child until the age of weaning. That's quite a transformation. And let God so totally restored Abraham that after Sarah died at the ripe old age of 137, he married another woman named Keturah and he had six more sons. What is God able to do? Anything he wants, right? In Genesis 25, verse 7 and 8, it says, Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. God had blessed his faith and prospered him right up to the last day of his life. But what about all of those mess-ups? What about all of those messes that were created by him, Abraham. You know, it's interesting. In the New Testament, if you go to chapter 11, where all of the, we call it the Hall of Faith, all these men and women of faith are mentioned and commended. And he, you know, he and Sarah get like five verses. They're commended for their faithfulness. In the New Testament, we never, ever, ever see one negative thing about Abraham. Every time he is referenced, it is about the faith of Abraham. It is about this father of the whole Jewish people, the father Abraham, whose seed eventually led all the way down to Jesus, who blessed all the peoples of the earth. Isn't that encouraging? I hope it's encouraging. You know, when I look at that, I think, you know what? Nowhere in there does it say, hey, don't mess up like Abraham did. Don't put God's plan at risk like Abraham did more than once. Don't sit there and argue with God and try and convince him he should change his man like Abraham did. God knew what he was doing. He knew he wasn't going to find ten people in that city. He wasn't going to find five people in that city. But he let him. Don't do that. Not once do we see something like that in the New Testament about Abraham. Nothing but good things about Abraham's faith. God overlooked all of that. And it tells us only of his successes. How does all this work out for us as lives under construction? Well, first of all, I think it's so encouraging that God used Abraham instead of, or in spite of, I should say, his imperfections. He was not a perfect man. Really not even close. But yet he is a man of faith that God used mightily. He will use us also. He will do the same for us. God isn't in the business of disqualifying us because we mess up. His plans are going to take place. You know, when he chose you or he chose me, did he not know what was coming? 
in our futures? Was not he aware of all of the things that he was going to have to deal with in Mike and the messes that were going to be created and the resistance, the disobedience? You know, I, I, I wish I could say it doesn't happen anymore, but man, there are times I doubt God. There are times I question God. There are times all of a sudden I find myself in a place where I am not trusting him completely. I find myself thinking, I better do something. I need to take over. I need to step in. Or I find myself all of a sudden filled with anxiety or worry or fear. And and I'm probably not the only one. And you know what? I can look at people like Abraham. I can look at people like David, an adulterer and a murderer. I can look at people like Peter who denied Christ at the very moment when he was most alone. I could look at the Apostle Paul who was killing and imprisoning Christians. But God had a plan. He had a plan for every single one of them. And he has a plan for us. And he did not disqualify them because of their plans. And I'm so encouraged when I think of David and and you know the story of David and Bathsheba and committing adultery and really taking advantage of he's the king and she's just lives next door and he turns her into an adulterer and murders her husband and yet we read in the New Testament David a man after God's own heart I'm so encouraged when I look at these people in the Bible and realize they are not perfect their lives were under construction just like ours are They messed up just like we do. But God's plan, he is not looking for perfect vessels. He's looking for available vessels, submitted vessels. You know, he takes us in the state that we are in when he woos us and draws us by his Holy Spirit. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he begins the work by the power of the Holy Spirit in us to begin that transformation into the image of Christ. In Philippians 1.6, I shared this verse last week. Being confident of this, that who he who began a good in work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It was about then that I figured out, gee, this sermon's a lot like last week's. And as I thought about it, you know, one of the things that I... I see and I do, I have a tendency to do to myself really often. It's, I think, a little less now than it used to be. But I hear it all the time in people who love the Lord, who know Him really. They know Him, they really do know Him as their Lord and Savior. But they're continually believing lies of the enemy or even their own lies and disqualifying themselves. Disqualifying themselves, putting themselves on the sideline. Well, God can't use me because... Well, they're way better than me at this or that. They know way more than me. And we are continually disqualifying ourselves. And God says, no, you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And we aren't going to be while we're still breathing. He's not looking for perfection. He draws us together. He calls us for a purpose. Yes, he calls us unto salvation, but he calls us for a purpose. He has a plan and a destiny for every single one of our lives. And boy, oh boy, if God has a plan, don't you want to see it fulfilled? Because I guarantee you, 
it will be the greatest blessing in your life as we walk out and see God fulfilling his plans through us. And because I'm kind of a wimp, I want to cooperate as much as I can because I don't want the messes to be any more painful than they have to be. So I pray that selfish prayer. Lord, keep me malleable and pliable in your hands. I still don't get it all the time, but I want to. And I think most of us want to. Don't use your imperfection as an excuse for the failure to commit yourself totally to the Lord. When I get a little better, I will. When I quit doing this, then I will. No. Don't use those failures as excuses. Commit yourself totally to the Lord. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The scripture we just read in Philippians and what we read last week. God is faithful to complete the work and he will give you the will and he will provide you the ability to do it. And he will take you to that destiny in a place you've never imagined you could be or never imagined you could go. And you will influence people for his glory that you never ever thought you could influence. We often fixate ourselves on our, our imperfections, our flaws, our weaknesses, and our past messes instead of keeping our eye on Jesus. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep going forward. Yielded vessels, not perfect vessels. As Abraham got to know God better, guess what? His faith increased, and so will ours. The better we get to know God, our faith in him, our trust in him, our confidence in him grows. And there's a few ways you get to know him better. One, read his word where he reveals himself to you in more and more detail all the time. I don't care how many times you read through the Bible, he'll reveal you to you more about himself each time. If you've never read it at all, boy, are you in for a treat if you just start. You'll begin to discover not just who he is, but just who in the world you are as the crown jewel of his creation. And spending time in prayer, spending time meditating on his word, and spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ fellowshipping. There's nothing that builds my faith quicker, I don't think, than a powerful testimony of what God has done. You know, when this lady was here last night and we were praying, and I didn't know who she was, the lady that had the migraines healed, she had brought another friend with her. Another friend who's got six children, she's pregnant with her seven, and of all things, she's got an amoeba going on in her left eye. And it's been there for almost a year and they can't do anything about it and the eye's becoming white and she's losing her sight and losing her vision. So when we're praying, then this gal tells me about her experience up here. Man, did my faith increase hearing about a lady who had migraines every day. And somebody here, I don't even know who it was, somebody here prayed for her, laid hands on her, and God did something by his Holy Spirit and the migraines are gone. And she's going home and bringing friends from Sioux Center, Iowa to a healing service because their faith is built up. And my faith is built up hearing those testimonies. God wants to build a testimony and a witness in every one of our lives. And he's doing it. Pay attention and you'll realize what he's doing in your life. And as we continue to just walk, being as sensitive to his leading as we possibly can, he will reveal more and more yielded vessels, not perfect. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, I thank you and praise you, give you glory for the examples that you show us in Scripture, how you humanize these people and, and, and we could relate to them. And it helps us to understand that you have a plan for us in spite of our mess-ups, in spite of our imperfections, that there is a plan. And Lord, I am so encouraged. I'm so encouraged when I look through the Scripture and I see you never throw those things back in their face. When our sins are forgiven, you remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, you remove them. God, help us to know you better. Draw us, woo us by your Holy Spirit. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us understanding and revelation by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that that no one here would disqualify themselves from anything that you call them to. I thank you for the giftings, the callings, the talents that you've put in each one here. We pray they be used for your glory and for your honor. Pray now you would watch over us as we go our different directions. We pray for those who will be traveling even today to graduations and receptions. We pray, Father, for us through this week that we would be your ambassadors wherever we go and you'd receive all the glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen.